Thanks for joining us at the Canadian Breakpoint, a Canadian infectious diseases podcast by Canadian infectious diseases physicians. I'm Summer Stewart, here with Dr. Rupina Purewall to welcome you to the first episode of Season 2. Dr. Purewall is a Canadian pediatric infectious diseases physician from Edmonton, Alberta. She completed her medical school at the University of Pesh in Hungary and her three-year residency program at West Virginia University. She returned to Canada in 2017 to start a Pediatric Infectious Diseases Fellowship at the University of Manitoba. Upon completing her fellowship, Dr. Purewall moved to Saskatchewan as a clinician and academic physician at the University of Saskatchewan. In this episode, Dr. Rapina Purewall will review the Canadian Antimicrobial Resistance Surveillance System Report for 2022. Dr. Purewall. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another season of our podcast, The Canadian Breakpoint. I'm your host, Dr. Rapina Pirawal. So I'm looking forward to a great season with new and exciting episodes and to present updates on antimicrobials, AMR, and diagnostics, and much more. Thank you so much for all of your support we received last season, and we look forward to new episodes. So prior to kicking off season two, I do want to disclose that this podcast is for informational purposes only and in no way to endorse any products. So we're going to kick off season two with updates from our CARS report. So this is the Canadian Antimicrobial Resistance Surveillance System Report 2022 that was released recently. And as many of you may know, it provides a five-year trend up to 2021. Uh, Previously in our last season, our first episode, we actually recorded the CARS report um, that had updates till 2019. So a lot of new information. So you may wonder why are we talking about this today? So the importance of this is really because globally it's estimated that 4.95 million deaths in 2019 were associated with antimicrobial resistant bacterial infections. If the resistance rates grow and they continue to grow, to 40% in 2050, the cost to the Canadian healthcare system will be anywhere close to $7.6 billion a year. So as you can see, this is a very important topic. Uh, We emphasized that in our uh, first season as well. And we had a lot of discussions around antimicrobial resistance and antibiotic stewardship as well. Uh, Similarly, we'll have some upcoming episodes uh, to discuss uh, similar topics. So the interesting thing with this report is that it actually captures the effects of the first full year of the pandemic. And so there was a lot of information in the report regarding COVID and AMR and what really happened. And so I think it's a quite exciting uh, release of information for us and and important information for us to actually know kind of what was noticed. Um, Now, majority of this episode, I will be talking about what was mentioned in the report and summarizing some of the key findings. Um, Now, keeping in mind that uh, this information is available through the CARS report, I, I do have some thoughts about some of the information that was presented that I will bring up today. uh, So stay tuned. So overall, if we looked at uh, the key findings in this report, in the CARS report 2022, there was mentioned that there was sustained decrease in antimicrobial consumption. And this is something that we will be talking about at the end of this episode. So stay tuned for more information in regarding to how there was a reduction of antibiotics in both the healthcare and 
healthcare centers and community use as well. Now, in terms of overall, there was mention that there was increase in antimicrobial use in patients that were hospitalized, especially those that were hospitalized with a concomitant COVID-19 infection. Now, as all of us clinicians would know, that it was very difficult and is difficult uh, to um, to be able to differentiate between the respiratory complications uh, that are associated with COVID um, infections and, and really the clinical challenges of diagnosing co-infections. And so uh, in the report, this was also mentioned that there may be an increased risk for inappropriate prescribing. But we'll talk a little bit about that later in the episode as well, because I'm curious and I do wonder if we'll continue to see some of the aftermath for years to follow. Now, in terms of some of the exciting things that were presented early in the report, where we're in regards to newer funding that was received in 2021. So PHAC was able to make progress in a number of areas, which will help us uh, fight this battle against AMR. And so, for instance, uh, in terms of detection, uh, integrated lab diagnostic data, um, have been incorporated that are being used to detect changes. Um, that's AMR net. Uh, in terms of analyzing this data, so there is results that uh, from a newer survey that was uh, piloted actually um, in 2018 and 2019, and this is the National Antimicrobial Prescribing Survey, which is going to help us expand our knowledge of appropriateness of prescriptions that are dispensed and also Canada's working on other surveillance systems as well to better understand how AMR is spreading between countries. So lots of exciting things. We're going to talk a little bit about more about the National Antimicrobial Prescribing Survey later in this episode as well. Now in terms of actions, I think improving effectiveness of antimicrobial stewardship programs and infection control interventions and using that data is really important and that was mentioned in this new funding proposal as well. And something that's not going to be mentioned much in this report, but will be in upcoming reports, PHAC did initiate new surveillance activities. So uh, something to look forward to is example, environmental surveillance. Uh, so they're monitoring quantity of antimicrobials in wastewater samples from select Canadian cities and furthermore, trying to improve the representation of AMR surveillance, uh, not to just include community and healthcare sectors, but also uh, long-term care facilities as well. So I think there's a lot of updates. There is a lot of new and exciting things that may not be in this report, but upcoming next report. But some of the things that we want to talk about today. So we're going to go into doing the key findings that were seen in 2016 and 2020. So I'm going to do the next portion of this podcast episode will include some information regarding our common pathogens that are under surveillance. So we'll start off by talking a little bit about MRSA, then BRE, and then go on to discuss uh, carbapenemase producing enterobacterialis and some of the other uh, targets that were under surveillance. So without further ado, so in terms of the report this year, so in the CARS 2022 report, uh, when they looked at the trend from 2016 to 2020, 
in terms of MRSA bloodstream infections, the overall trend had increased. So this data was reported to CNIS with 62 out of 80 hospitals in 10 provinces and one territory. So overall, they did see an increase since 2017 from the community-acquired, community-associated MRSA infections. Um, In terms of why that would be, uh, there was some speculation of increased frequency of at-risk behaviors in our Canadian population, examples being injection drug use and the ongoing opioid epidemic. Now, the overall incidence of MRSA bloodstream infections increased by 33%, and of which, which was a bit alarming, was that 75% of the rise was in the community-associated MRSA bloodstream infections. And overall, looking at the samples that were submitted for, and the isolates submitted for bloodstream infections, uh, MRSA accounted for 16% of the staph aureus bloodstream isolates. Now, in terms of when speaking of healthcare-associated MRSA isolates, um, the bloodstream infections were down, so there was a downtrend there by 2.3%. It was interesting to see that pediatric hospital rates peaked in 2019 for MRSA bloodstream infections um, and then stabilized thereafter, whereas in the adult and hospitals and mixed hospitals, these rates remain stable. Now, Going on to something that was also mentioned in the report was regarding susceptibility patterns. And I think for us clinicians, this is really important and something that we always need to keep in mind. So looking at their data in terms of healthcare-associated MRSA isolates, I was pleased to see that trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole resistance remained low. So that was below 7%. Uh, Ciprofloxacin resistance decreased from 78 to 65%, and our clindamycin and erythromycin resistance rates remained stable. So clinda being around 30 to 50%, and then for erythromycin around 7 to 80%. Now, the I think something that was very alarming, now this is both in the healthcare associate and the community-associated um, MRSA isolates, but For the first time ever, there was non-susceptibility to daptomycin that was identified. So two isolates were from the healthcare-associated MRSA, two isolates in 2020, and similarly from the community-associated MRSA isolates. Again, there was another two isolates for the first time that had non-susceptibility to daptomycin. So this was quite alarming to myself and something that uh, we should all be keeping in mind Uh, In terms of uh, the healthcare-associated MRSA isolates, all the isolates tested susceptible to linezolid, tigacycline, and vancomycin. Uh, Just some quick uh, reports on susceptibilities and sensitivities for uh, the community-associated MRSA isolates. So uh, very similar rates for clindamycin and erythromycin. Similarly, TMP, sulfamethoxazole, rates remained low, less than 3%. And then as previously mentioned, there were two isolates that were non-susceptible to daptomycin. And all of the community-acquired and associated MRSA isolates were also uh, tested susceptibility. Uh, All were susceptible to linezolid, ticocycline, um, and vancomycin. So definitely something that stuck out to me was the daptomycin uh, non-susceptibility patterns, and then the ongoing resistance that we're seeing with clindamycin and erythromycin. 
something that I took back from the report for uh, the MRSA uh, bloodstream infections. Now, moving on to VRE, so vancomycin-resistant enterococcus, bloodstream infections overall trend in this report was also trending up, so has increased. Although since 2018, the rate has slightly decreased. There was some speculation that the increase in majority of the years was due to emergence of a new sequence type, infection control policies, and likely related to our COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the overall rate that peaked in 2018 increased by 72%. 99% of the isolates, so there were 683 isolates, and 99% of them were enterococcus specium. Uh, and 93% were acquired in healthcare facility. Now, uh, the most common sequence types were mentioned in the report. Um, so the sequence type, which will stand for ST17, 1478, and ST80 were the three most common types. And the largest increase that we did see was in our Canadian report was uh, the sequence type 17, which went from 3% previously to up to 36% from 2016 to 2020. In terms of our susceptibility patterns, there was some low-level resistance detected to tigacycline, linezolid, and daptomycin, um, but really only less than 9%, and actually has, for daptomycin, has even further declined to 3.5% in 2020, but just keeping in caution that only a small number of isolates were actually evaluated, um, and all of them were resistant to ciprofloxacin. Uh, moving on to our other pathogens, so carbapenemase producing enterobacterialis, the overall trend varied, so they did see an in initial increase, but then decreased in the latter part of the report, so 2019 to 2020, and likely related to infection control practices that were increased, keeping in mind that colonization rates were not included in this report. And Looking at um, the CPE, so the carbapenemase producing enterobacterialis rates were the highest in central and western Canada and remain low in eastern Canada. Of mention of which genes were the most prevalent, so KPC, Klebsiella pneumoniae, carbapenemases, NDM, New Delhi, metallobeta-lactamase, and OXA48 um, in kind of the highest to least prevalence um, were reported still in Canada. Now, over 60% of the CPE isolates were resistant to septazidine, cipro, meropenem, piptazo, and trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. We did see that with trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, resistance did increase by 13%, so something to keep in mind, uh, and was mentioned in the report. Now, Moving on, so they did uh, talk um, in the report and speak about osteoides difficile, so C. diff infections, and uh, the overall trend actually decreased, but then initially, but then they saw an increase in 2019 to 2020. Now, unsure why, again, likely related to the number of antibiotics being prescribed. And as we know, that had increased early in the pandemic. In terms of uh, what the report did mention that stuck out to me about C. diff infection, so there was one hospital-acquired C. diff infection that was noted to be resistant to metronidazole, but no isolates were resistant to vancomycin. 
And in terms of the community acquired and associated C. diff infections, metronidazolam, vancomycin, were there was no resistance found to those antimicrobials. In terms of in Canada, what they noticed the trend for uh, C. diff infections, ribotype. So what was the most common? It was ribotype, so RT106, 15% um, of over 330 isolates um, were of this ribotype. And this was uh, similar both in the hospital and community setting. Now, moving on to other organisms that were uh, discussed in the report. Um, so something that was brought up was data around the Neisseria gonorrhea isolates. Now, if any of you tuned into our previous season, our last episode discussed disseminated gonococcal infections. And even in that episode, we talked a lot about how these gonococcal infections have continued to rise. And this report was quite fitting uh, with the data that was uh, presented there. Similarly, because this same surveillance program in Canada, so GASP Canada, Gonococcal Antimicrobial Surveillance Program Canada, um, is where the CARS report obtained this data, and Alberta, Manitoba, Northwest Territories, and Nova Scotia, the province, is providing uh, such data. Uh, to see the trends of AMR with Neisseria gonorrhea isolates in Canada, so the data here in the report did coincide with the, the concerns with the gonococcal infections continuing to rise. They did see that they were higher in males. The rate increased by 44% during this duration of the five-year period. Globally and in Canada, there, um, the isolates, there were isolates with decreased sensitivity and susceptibility to extended spectrum cephalosporins. And between 2016 and 2020, resistance of these strains to azithromycin remains threatened. Um, and that was a concerning factor brought up in the CARS report 2022. In terms of multi-drug resistant strains, so this is when there's decreased susceptibility to one currently recommended therapy, like azithromycin or cephalosporin group, plus two other antimicrobials, and this ranges for Neisseria gonorrhea anywhere from 6 to 12%. There were warnings from WHO in regards to XDR strains, so as many of you may know, this is resistant to two current recommended therapies and two other antimicrobials. Um, and XDR strains do exist, and that gonococcal infections could become untreatable due to the resistance to all antimicrobials. So in this five-year period in, of the report, 11 cases of XDR were identified, um, and there was mention that further surveillance was needed. Something that was quite alarming was that seven of the cases were actually in 2018. When looking at the report, it was mentioned that in 2020, the highest resistance for antimicrobials was to ciprofloxacin at 57%. So something to keep in mind. It is notable that there was a slight decline to decrease susceptibility to septoraxone in 2020, went from 1.8 to 0.9%. So in Canada, there were three cases of ceftriaxone-resistant gonococcal strains uh, that have been reported in 2017 and 2018, um, and two of these were associated with international travel, and then a third that was detected in December of 2021 was not related to international travel. 
So I think there's a lot of moving parts with the Neisseria gonorrhea and gonococcal infections. Um, GASP continues to provide um, this information and surveillance around antimicrobial resistance. There really is this enhanced surveillance of antimicrobial resistance that was actually established back in 2013. And the goal is really to understand the current trends and report them to prescribing physicians. So I think it's really important for us to keep this in mind. Um, I think for more details, it would be nice to listen to the disseminated gonococcal infections episode. So tune into that just to see kind of what uh, was discussed. Moving on to other pathogens that were discussed. So there were reports about tuberculosis. I, for obvious reasons, left uh, tuberculosis out of this uh, podcast episode today. Although there's probably some likely changes. They did mention that TB trends were stable in Canada. Now we know um, some provinces are experiencing higher outbreaks in certain areas. And so for time purposes, I'll not review this during this episode, but likely we'll need to discuss and provide more interprovincial uh, data in the near future. We did have an episode in our first season in terms of TB and the complicated presentations. And so I think this season we will bring you some updates. Now, moving on to other organisms and pathogens that were discussed. So strep pneumoniae, so invasive pneumococcal disease or invasive pneumococcal infections due to strep pneumoniae. Overall trend in the report showed that we are seeing a trending up. Uh, so there is a rate of infection increase and, and the rate of infection by vaccine preventable serotypes actually increased by 45%. And this was something that really stuck out to me uh, while reviewing this report and really emphasized the importance of vaccinations um, in children. So when we saw between 2015 to 2019, the rate of invasive pneumococcal disease increased by 11%. And when we looked, or when CARS report surveillance looked at the isolates that were submitted to the National Micro Lab, so NML, uh, between 2016 and 2020, where they received over 21 to 3,600 strep pneumo isolates, of which two-thirds were non-PCV-13 isolates, and a third of them were PCV-13 isolates. So something to consider, and I think it directly can reflect some of the uh, rate increases that are alarming because of the vaccine-preventable serotypes going up. Um, and again, emphasizing the importance of these primary vaccines. So the report also uh, mentioned some other concerning factors in terms of resistance of the strep pneumonia isolates that were submitted. So overall, multiple antibiotics were tested uh, in terms of some of the increases that they saw. So doxycycline, trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazole, both had increased around 2 to 3%. Clarithromycin, up to 25% resistance patterns. Uh, something that was alarming to me was the penicillin rates. Um, now, con considering that we know that there are penicillin-resistant strep pneumonia isolates, um, but the rates have increased to 10 to 15% as per the CARS 2022 report. Now, in terms of clindamycin resistance, it had initially increased up to 8% and then slightly down in 2020. Fortunately, 
resistance to ceftriaxone remained low and stable. So it was 0.2 to 0.7% from 2016 to 2020. Similarly, alongside carbapenem resistance also remained low, 0 to 2%. It was mentioned that all isolates for strep pneumonia that were submitted were susceptible to vancomycin and linezolid. Now, things that also were mentioned in the report that came across to me as very alarming was in 2016 and 2020, the multidrug resistance rates were looked at for all age groups. And the highest increase of multidrug resistance strep pneumonia was seen in those aged less than one year of age. So this went from anywhere 3% up to 27.8%. I think I've mentioned this a couple of times during this episode, but really emphasizing the importance of the primary vaccinations in this age group to really prevent these infections. And the highest proportion of the multidrug resistant strains were seen in serotypes that can be covered by the PCV13 vaccine. So serotypes 19A, for instance, and 19F. Prevalence was anywhere from 25 to 35%. So something to keep in mind, I talked a little bit about the penicillin resistance. They did mention that amoxicillin clavulinate resistance also rose from zero up to 3.4%. Now, moving on from strep pneumonia, uh, there, in their report, there were discussions regarding uh, invasive group A strep infections, um, likely because we are seeing an increased rate of these infections. So Group A strep infects 18 million people globally, and recently there's increased rates from anywhere from 4 to 6.7 cases per 100,000 between 2010 and 2017. So PHAC had enhanced its surveillance to keep an eye on um, invasive group A strep infections. And overall, the key findings from the report, so between 2015 to 2019, is reported that the incident rate of invasive group A strep increased by 52.8%. So for the right reasons, we had enhanced our surveillance, detecting these increased rates. Other uh, details in regards to susceptibility patterns were released. So erythromycin resistance to group A strep uh, went, was the highest, went from 8 to 11.5%. Um, clindamycin overall remained stable, so there was a slight increase in 2017 for resistance uh, for these isolates, but remained stable otherwise around 3%. So that was reassuring. Um, all isolates remained susceptible to penicillin and vancomycin during this five-year period. Now, finally, in terms of the pathogens that were discussed, so I didn't go too much into detail about the next set of uh, organisms, only because I think there's a lot of moving parts, um, but also uh, further discussions. But in the report, in CARS 2022 report, there were isolates submitted and evaluated um, and surveillance for salmonella, both typhoidal and non-typhoidal. So some things to keep in mind as travel is increasing, but also um, what our local patterns are showing. For Salmonella and Terracocerevar typhi, the number of isolates that were submitted test for testing nearly doubled. In 2019, 78% were of the isolates that were submitted were Cerevar typhi. Majority of these isolates are coming from Ontario at 50%, and then BC, and then 
mostly Alberta at 14%. In 2016 to 2019, uh, in terms of the typhoidal salmonella, there was uh, reports of ceftriaxone resistance that had increased from 0.5 up to 4.5%. So that's something that we should all be aware of, especially for prescribers, considering that uh, empiric treatment can include ceftriaxone. Now for non-typhoidal salmonella, azithromycin resistance increased from 0.5 to 2.3%, but it was noted that ciprofloxacin remained, resistance remained stable during this period for these non-typhoidal strains. The other kind of alarming finding was in 2019 for these salmonella enterica isolates that 12% of the typhoidal and 17% of the non-typhoidal were resistant to three or more classes of antimicrobials. So obviously emphasizing the importance of susceptibility testing, surveillance, and, and hospitals submitting uh, these isolates for testing as well. So those were the main pathogens that I, would, I wanted to discuss today in terms of uh, the surveillance and trends that were seen in the CARS 2022 report. Now, I just wanted to shift gears a bit to antimicrobial use in humans, because as we know that part of the CARS report, um, there is data around antimicrobial use, and there was a lot of national, provincial, and international data that was provided in the CARS report this year, um, or over this five-year trend. So just to remind everybody, when we're talking about antimicrobial use in humans, so PHAC uses data from hospital purchases of antibiotics, and this really reflects consumption in the healthcare sector. Alongside that, antibiotics that are dispensed in retail pharmacies, this, is, this data is used to reflect antibiotic consumption in the community sector. So that is how this information is obtained, always keeping in mind that not all hospital purchases of these antimicrobials are used, but overall uh, gives us a good picture of antimicrobial use and prescribing data. So nationally, in the CARS 2022 report, the overall antibiotic consumption between 2017 and 20 to 2021 decreased by 27%. And this was seen both in the healthcare sector and the community sector that experiences decline. And obviously coinciding with that would be a decline in spending on antimicrobials in both the sectors. Now, that was important information, but keeping in mind that a part of this data was obtained during early pandemic times uh, when infection control uh, practices and the changes in care uh, and providing care were much different as well. Uh, so it would be interesting to see how this trend continues, but going into kind of nationally what we were seeing. So in the healthcare sector, cephalosporins, like first, second, and third generations were generation cephalosporins were highest consumed. When looking at the community sector, tetracyclines and uh, penicillins being the top two all-around antibiotics that were prescribed. And when we looked at prescriber data, actually it was seen that there was an there was an overall decrease in prescribing rates amongst all prescribers. This include family doctors, GPs, specialists, and non-physician specialists, which include dentists. Um, and they all had a decrease in prescribing rates, but with general practitioners, 
having a decline of up to 42.8% during this national five-year report. Now, provincially, what we saw, so all provinces experienced a decline in 2017 to 2021, although Atlantic Canada had the highest consumption in 2021, they had the second largest decline as well, um, second to the Prairie Provinces that included Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Ontario showed the least decline, and Quebec had the lowest consumption of antimicrobials during this five-year period. I think it's always important to not only look at provincial and national data, but how do we compare ourselves, uh, so Canada compared to other countries, and in terms of this international data, which is provided in the CARS 2022 report, Canada ranked the 10th lowest consumer of antimicrobials per capita in 2020 when it was compared to 30 European countries. So just to kind of give you perspective, the Netherlands was the lowest, came in at the lowest consuming country, and we, in comparison to them, consumed 50% more antimicrobials. So I think for us to talk a little bit about some of the newer things around antimicrobial prescribing, including the Canadian National Antimicrobial Prescribing Survey, I think it's important for us to gear our attention towards the aware antimicrobial categorizations that were listed by WHO. And so these are antimicrobial agents, so antibiotics that are basically placed into three different categories in terms of their <clears throat> resistance, their first line agents or last resort agents. So for instance, the three categories are, um, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's important to understand that not, not all antimicrobials or antibiotics can be categorized in the same way. And this was something that was brought up or something that came up in my mind as I was reviewing the report in terms of, you know, is this a medication or an antibiotic that um, has the, you know, is a reserve category. So a last resort drug um, has increased rates. That's a bit more alarming to me. Although keeping in mind that all antimicrobial use and resistance patterns that are increasing are alarming. So uh, just going back to kind of defining some of the terms that uh, WHO has set out for uh, these categories. So there's three different categories. So there's access drugs, watch drugs, and reserve drugs. Access drugs count as low risk of resistance, and they're usually used to treat commonly susceptible organisms. The watch category, obviously, is the middle category. So um, some may think of it as like borderline. So these are higher potential for resistance. And these are usually your first or second line drugs. And then your final or third category is the reserve or last resort drugs. And these are antimicrobials listed that treat infections that are caused by multi-drug resistant organisms. And really the alarming factor in this report from 2017 to 2021 human consumption of the reserve antibiotics increased by 25%. And this was mainly driven by a 43% increase in the use of antimicrobials in the healthcare sector, um, although decreased in the community sector. So of this, just to give you an example, just to put it into perspective, especially for clinicians, pharmacists, and those that are prescribing, 
daptomycin, which counts as a reserve or last resort drug, was the most commonly consumed drug from the reserve group. And the use increased by 65.8%. And 68% of that was in the healthcare sector and 38% in the community. So I think that's something that when I was reading the report, kind of was thinking about how many times, you know, we've had to prescribe daptomycin in, in our hospital setting. But something to keep in mind in part, you know, for those that are running antimicrobial stewardship programs, um, informing, you know, prescribers this information and providing this information, I think is is quite valuable. So uh, in terms of when we looked at consumption overall, in terms of, for instance, uh, another category of drugs, so carbapenems, they did see a decrease by 33% and 50% decline in the healthcare sector. The community, however, did see a slight increase of 21%, and this included um, erdapenem as well as meropenem. So in order for us uh, to kind of understand that, I think it's important for us to see what is the ongoing surveillance and really thinking about and talking about one of the newest, um, I would say, additions or one of the newest additions that was mentioned in the CARS 2022 report was the Canadian National Antimicrobial Prescribing Survey. And I don't think I'll do justice in explaining everything, but what was mentioned in the report was quite fascinating. I think this is definitely a survey that looks at prescribing practices in the healthcare sector and and provides quite valuable information. Um, Initially, when it was piloted, so it's referred to as NAPS, and when it was piloted in 2018 to 2019, they had some good response. And as of 2022, over 119 healthcare facilities across Canada, so across the 10 provinces, including actually the 12 pediatric academic hospitals, are currently involved in reporting information and involved in for uh, allow uh, PHAC to obtain data from the prescribing information. So you know, keeping in mind that participation is voluntary, for the hospitals in terms of this data. But overall, just to give you kind of an overview of really what was presented in the report um, and what, what is the role of NAPS, it was mentioned that it provides qualitative and quantitative information. So for instance, it can give you kind of the insights on prescribing behaviors, helps identify clinical indications and antimicrobial use patterns, It also looked at if hospitals followed guidelines for antibiotic choice, dosage, route, and duration, and benchmarking. So a lot of this information led to figuring out appropriateness and inappropriateness of antibiotic use, which I think coincides with helping us reduce um, antimicrobial resistance. So the key findings from the CARS 2022 report which were obtained from these 90 NAPS audits in 2018 and 2019 from 64 hospitals, showed that 77.5% of hospital antibiotic prescriptions were deemed appropriate across Canada. That was something that uh, I was pleased to see. Overall, based on the AWARE category, so we talked about those, the access drugs, 
and then the watch drugs and finally reserve drugs. 37% of the antibiotics were from, uh, in terms of looking at uh, the antibiotic prescriptions, were from the access category. There was a higher percentage from the watch category, so around 61%, and then only 1.8% from the reserve drugs. Now, among the 20 antibiotics that were prescribed that they looked at, only four had appropriateness levels of less than 70%, and that was nitrofurantoin, cefiroxime, levofloxacin, and moxifloxacin. They did look at specialties as well and break it down in terms of which specialties had the highest level of appropriateness, and uh, with pediatrics, hematology, gynecology, infectious disease, and emergency medicine taking the top five. For appropriateness. And then finally, also, we're able to provide this data across the provinces and comparing the provinces and regions with the highest level of appropriate antibiotic use or prescribing in the Western region, which included BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. So that was quite, I think that was very different information that was provided from our previous reports. And um, it was nice to see that there's ongoing surveillance there. And so for those that were not aware, um, just like myself, that was quite uh, informational. Now, lastly, before I end this episode, because obviously we've talked about such uh, so many numbers and such great data that was presented in the CARS 2022 report uh, that, you know, I could probably talk about uh, this more and more, but if there is anything in terms of detailed information that you would want, um, this is obviously just a summary of the report, but the CARS 2022 report is available online. Now, before I end this episode, I did want to talk a little bit about, I think it's kind of something that everybody was wondering about, was the antibiotic use um, and human antibiotic use in the community sector kind of before and during the pandemic. And so, uh, some of the data that was released in the CARS 2022 report, which was quite interesting, um, was looked at nationally. So the national um, data in terms of the average like, monthly prescriptions, if we look at, I think the easiest way to do this is looking at before the pandemic, when we looked at the average monthly prescriptions in Canada, they would range from 45 to 66 per 1,000 inhabitants always having a peak kind of in our highest rates of prescribing months were May to October, peaking in January and kind of coincides with respiratory infections and their complications. Um, and then the lowest infection or prescribing rates in summertime, so June and July. So looking at that was 45 to 66 per 1,000 inhabitants. Now comparing this to when the pandemic started, so reminding ourselves that March to April 2020, um, was the start of the pandemic, and community scripts had declined by 31%. During the pandemic, so rates remained low, and so the that prescribing um, average monthly prescriptions in Canada now only ranged from anywhere around 37 per 1,000 inhabitants. So we did see a decline, and not only a decline in the community scripts themselves, but also in the hospital sector, there was a decline by 25% when we looked at the overall trend in 2017 to 2021, and 8% of which was between 2019 and 2020. So some of that information 
when I took that information, you know, it's hard to correlate. Um, was this really due to the new and modified means of accessing healthcare, which the report also mentioned? Um, and that's exactly what I was thinking because of public health measures. Are we going to continue to see this decline? Obviously, there, you know, initially some of the rates were different in terms of what we were seeing uh, early on when we didn't know much about COVID-19. But uh, it would be interesting to see how these trends continue now that we have data from before the pandemic, the start of the pandemic, and some data years around, so uh, years later. So I think it would be interesting for all of us to stay tuned to uh, see what the next CARS report reporting period Uh, I think there's a lot of exciting surveillance going on, um, and there was a lot of important information that was presented in this report. So I'm happy to give everybody a summary on this report. And if you guys have any questions, ideas, uh, topics, or other topics that you would want to discuss this season, please feel free to reach out to us through Twitter, email, and uh, share this information because I think it's really important and for not only prescribers alone, but I think anybody in the healthcare sector. So thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And um, like I mentioned, we're looking forward to a great list of speakers uh, this season. Um, If you have the desire to come on to the podcast as a guest, Uh, we're more than happy to host you as well. Thanks for tuning in. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Pierwall. Thanks for joining us. If you have a topic suggestion, email us at thecanadianbreakpoint at gmail.com or tweet us at CA Breakpoint. See you again soon at the Canadian Breakpoint.